spread the word. The JCPenney Friends and Family Sale is back. And this week, we're passing the savings on to you. Use your extra 30% off coupon to prep your home and style your family for Easter. That's extra savings on top of our great low prices. Plus, share your coupon with everyone you know and love. It's always better when we save together. JCPenney, make everybody count. Offer valid 311 through 317. Exclusions apply. See store or jcp.com for details. While you're listening, go to arcpodnet.com slash members and support our efforts. Let's get to the show. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Hello out there in uh, archaeology podcast land. This is Dr. Alan Garfinkel. I'm the president and founder of the California Rock Art Foundation. And what we do is we identify, evaluate, manage, and conserve rock art both in Alta, California and in Baja, California. We conduct field trips, we have trainings, exercise, we do research, and in every way possible, we try to preserve, protect, and coordinate treasures of Alta and Baja California rock art, of which there are many and diverse. We also work closely with Native Americans and uh, partner with them to recognize and protect sacred sites. So for more info about the fabulous California Rock Art Foundation, you can go to carockart.org. Also, I'm I'm open to give me a call, 805-312-2261. We would uh, welcome sponsorship or underwriting, uh, helping us to defray the costs of our podcasts, and also membership in California Rock Art Foundation. And of course, donations, since we are a 501c3 nonprofit scientific and educational corporation. God bless everyone out there in podcast land. You're listening to the Rock Art Podcast. Join us every week for fascinating tales of rock art, adventure, and archaeology. Find our contact info in the show notes and send us your suggestions. Hey, Rock Art Podcasters and Archaeology Podcast Network people. Dr. Alan Garfinkel, your host, and this is episode 87. I'm going to be interviewing Joseph Williams is one of the key founders and principals of Seven Fires Corporation. We're going to talk about what it's like to develop a means of protecting, preserving, and revering a very important rock art site. I think you'll really like this. Hi out there in uh, archaeology podcast land. This is your host, Dr. Alan Garfinkel, with the California Rock Art Foundation, and we're honored and pleased to have Joseph Williams, who is the uh, one of the keyboard members, if not the founder, of the uh, Seven Fires Corporation. And one of the things that they do is to try to protect, preserve, educate, inform, and acknowledge the uh, Native American places of cultural heritage and cultural values. And so we're really honored to have Joseph Williams. I don't think we've ever had anyone of his uh, proclivity of his particular affiliation on any of the uh, you know 80 plus episodes that we've had thank you thank you thank you very much for the invitation yes well it's a pleasure so the, w- the way we often get started joseph well first of all let's do a little bit of an introduction how did you and i meet <laughs> <laughs> well uh by happen chance, I was supposed to have met okay. up with Harold Williams, and and, uh, and maybe tell people just a, a soundbite of who Harold Williams is. Harold Williams is regarded as yeah, he he would be I would say considered one of the yeah, elders sure. to the Kwaisu, uh, to the Kwaisu tribe you. in Tachibi. Now I I never really did get the chance to meet Harold Williams. I'm not of course, in any way related uh, to any Williams or any of the Kwaisu. And there happens to be quite a few Williams in the Kwaisu, even a Joe Williams in, uh, in the Kwaisu. And Dennis Williams, who I became well aware of by her basket weaving and understanding where basket weaving sits in, on a cultural level with the natives or Native Americans living here in California, the baskets are, are a very important aspect of their culture. So uh, I just felt in my heart and mind that it would be good to know to get to know at least his sister Janice. 
if I wasn't able to get that chance to meet Harold. So, and so I was I was a close friend with uh, Janice Williams, and also of course Harold Williams was the co-author of the Handbook of the Kawaiisu, and the Kawaiisu of course are a Southern Paiute tribe, Native California Indian tribe that uh, live in the Tehachapi's, but also resided kind of in the um, edge of the Western Mojave Desert or edge of the Western Great Basin and perhaps even into the far Southern Sierra. In any event, that's how we connected initially. And how did you ever get involved with this particular idea of producing some sort of a nonprofit? And what did that take to accomplish? I would have to say that it was a matter of calculations. I must profess that I have a, how should I say, a geometric design on a, how should I say, uh, when it comes to, for example, the moon and how it affects our tides, uh, I've learned that, you know, there's strong evidence that there may be more at play when it comes to plate tectonics and, and geography, that kind of thing. Sure. Gotcha. How did you set up the nonprofit? What, what did it take? What, what were the steps that you made? Connecting the dots. How I set up the nonprofit was the steps I took in order to, is to be close to a particular site that is, that had raised my attention on an astron on an okay. astronomical le- right. level when it comes to astronomy. So on a scientific level, not a cultural level, but on a scientific, that's what got me to that. Now the now I've learned that the the Kauaisu, they're they're actually like one of the oldest oldest known tribes in the nation, and I stemming from Cherokee myself, having a little bit of uh, Native American quantum in my blood, I have a little bit of an understanding, especially yeah. having been raised as well, with that type of you know, yes. awareness of, of the culture. So, so before, you, before, you, before you jump to that, how did you find out about this site and how did you gain access to it? Since I, I understand it's privately owned, or am I correct? Yes. It's, uh, it's it's owned by a by a corporation okay. that's long standing. You know, I don't okay. see the sense of name and the name no, of the no, corporation, no. but it's a, it's a century old. It's a century old corporation, and but, I figured that because of how old this corporation is, I needed some form of uh, of way to to balance the how should I say the political aspects of the site being owned privately by such a large corporation. Privately, yeah. And I felt that the only ammunition that I would have in order to try to find any kind of ground or at least a leg up on showing them that we have sincere interest in preserving this space would be from another corporation. Right. You had to have an entity, infrastructure, a corporation itself, to sort of go, you know, to interface to working with another yes, exactly yes, exactly. So it was it was mainly a political move. I ended up investing into uh, two and a half acres, which is very very much near, almost within eyesight of this particular site that has, for the most part, probably is what brought brought me together with Janice and all of this together, yes. and. On an archaeological level, uh, you know, that would be Kakur 273, I believe you've published, and Kakur 1193. Okay. So what was the intent or the function or the mission of this new, I understand it was new, and how long has it been around, this uh, Seven Fires Corporation? Well, we've been around for about 12 years now, okay. and as far as uh, where we sit, we have four directors. We're actually even looking for even another director, 
we're represented legally by our attorney who, sure. who who's invested in in this corporation as well as far as time is concerned sure uh, the time that that we've spent at trying to find a medium whereby we can somehow publish how the, the importance of these paintings on rocks and, what, and the meanings of sure. what these paintings mean that gotcha. maybe if we were to to educate you know those who, who wish to be educated about these places that that would be our form of being able to preserve this sure. space and it would probably be a, a good mark as far as the the corporation that actually owns it and that's all i think that they're actually looking for is some form of stewardship for this place so your nonprofit seven fires corporation is really attempting to be a steward and uh, exactly. an educator and one that respects and acknowledges and reveres native american spiritual sacred cultural Thank you, yes. Heritage sites. Perfect. Now, I've gotten to know quite a few others as well. Sure. You're a Native American, or at least have some Native American background. Do any of your other board members have Native American ancestry? Our CFO, actually, our chief financial officer, I think he he believes he has some Cherokee quantum, but that that quantum can't be proven. In other words, we, some of us, we can claim to have that quantum but not be able to prove it. Uh, so that would gotcha. be the only difference. So I think, yes, one, one of our directors are. And now that actually you're one of our directors as well, Dr. <laughs> Allen. Uh, of, of, and of I, I, I appreciate of, you. Of, hopefully playing a, mi- a minor role <laughs> as I'm stretched and stressed, well, as that, you imagine. But God, God bless you for the opportunity to uh, jump in at Thank you. Some, something as important as this mission and this role. And certainly also that uh, you've taken the time to, uh, uh, you know, further magnify and broadcast what you're talking about here, because I think it's extremely important. Thank you. It's it's a little bit of a story for me to be able to tell because, you know, on my father's side of the family, it was more of the, um, how should I say, gold digging, prospecting, uh, geography okay. and science and trying to locate deposits, gold deposits, ore deposits, and, and lay those claims. Was he a geologist, mineralogist, gold miner? Uh, what, yeah, what exactly. And that's that's how I was able to actually come up upon this canon uh, that okay. has our pet our, our pictographs in it, and so you know it's on account of that. Now in that canon is of course claims as well. There are gold claims in them. So on account of those claims, I know that this corporation that we're speaking of that owns it, you know they they can't even sell that property on account of the claims that are on the property already. Okay, so there are pre-existing mineral claims? Exactly, exactly. Quite a few of them. And you, and you took it upon yourself to actually purchase a small piece of ground so that you can steward or manage or protect somehow exactly. the uh, resource. To talk about that a little bit, would you? Please. Thank How you. How did that come about? Uh, I guess... Uh, it was a matter of, of really trying to manage a strategic idea on how do you talk to a corporation that is so large and old, over 100 years. Okay. They just celebrated, you know, their 100-year anniversary. And, and raising their attention to the importance of this cultural area of this canyon they own the cultural importance so important so that you know it would cause quite an upheaval on a cultural level especially and uh i've even been told you know by by both chiefs if you will of the kwaisu that you know that this would cause you know a definite problem and that corporation at the same time you know has put out whatever threats that they have even the threat of arrest should anybody trespass out back in there and so we feel like that the canyon already has the properties that's needed in order for it to be preserved. Uh, unfortunately, there's there's a lot of uh, 
out go, how should I say, uh, dirt bike go seekers, you know, off roaders, uh, and it's all illegal. Okay. Uh, there is no legal off roading allowed. And all this off roading is causing a land erosion to the extent to where it's, it's, it's actually uh, jeopardizing the site as far as the sand flows are concerned. Well, let's, let's, let's leave it at that. Sounds like we're getting into a lot of different elements and, and characteristics and important themes in this discussion. Exactly. I'll uh, catch you on the flip-flop, gang. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Welcome back to uh, your Rock Art Podcast with uh, Joseph Williams of the Seven Fires Corporation and also uh, your host, Dr. Alan Garfinkel. So, Joe, we were just touching upon some of the uh, political and infrastructural issues that were necessary to sort of deal with a resource. Maybe you should pick it up there. Would that be okay? Yes. Thank you. Thank you very much. I, I think we were starting to hit on the topic of uh, environmental factors regarding yes. this particular area. But even before that, we were talking about what was necessary to sort of a precondition to sort of interfacing with a major corporation. Exactly. Yes. And, and it's for, for the most part, a large corporation of this uh, magnitude, I should say, which is almost a Fortune Fortune 500 company. There is uh, really no way it's just a private citizen to try to reach out and talk to any of the any of those who actually have any uh, any actual control. Mainly because it's all needing to go through board of, of directors, just just like our corporation. Sure. And they're not going to listen to you know just your typical private citizen. They're too too much into a business level of thinking. And so what I figured I'd do after dealing with Edwards Air Force Base and the sites that are out there, and Edwards yeah, so Air Force know. Base. Yes, yeah, so it's a very difficult. <laughs> so so how did you? connect with Edwards? That actually happened through a Masonic temple that, that I belong to, a Masonic fraternity okay. in Rosemont. And uh, uh -huh. some of the officers, uh, which I happen to be an officer as well in, in, in uh, the fraternity, that uh, actually got me in touch with, I believe it was the captain uh, of Edwards Air Force Base that allowed me on to be able to see the sites that are there. But if it wasn't for that affiliation that I had have on a on a political level, for example, with the Masons, I, I don't believe I would have even been able to really have that chance to see the sites on Edwards. And so they kind of taught me a little bit of a lesson on how to handle the politics of of the business of preservation, and so when it comes uh, to a large comes to a large yes, corporation, please. you know, I, I figured the the least we can do is at least have property on their fence line, which we do, right, and be and be a corporation ourselves, so that we could speak yes. on an equal level. So those were two preconditions, and those were were met. Yes. you had to. I guess you had to find a piece of ground that even would be available for sale that you could purchase. That, that was hard enough in itself, yes. I actually ended up right? reaching all the way out to, I believe it was Louisiana or something, to be able to get that property. <laughs> <laughs> 
So it was actually a, a, an investment property, but what I did is I just simply, you know, turned it over a, as a corporation and, and, you know, for the purpose of preserving the site, being that we're so near it and, right, and hopes right. that we would be the future stewards of this site for, for this corporation, this larger sure. corporation that I'm speaking of, you know, as a corporation working with another corporation to preserve this site, I thought would be all in, all in good terms to be able to work that way. So that's mainly why we are a corporation. Yeah. So you had to research and identify property owners and potentially those that would sell to you and that would be physically contiguous or located in such a, such a way that would help in terms of managing, uh, monitoring, con uh, conservation, protecting a rock art site, correct? Correct. Correct. And, and there's only so many. Very, 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 very creative. That's a very, very creative way of doing things. I, I have to hands on, hats off to you. Thank you. Thank you, you Doctor. Know, I appreciate that, that, is, that, is, that an individual like you and a small group of people can do this is, I don't know if it's nearly miraculous, but damn near. I can say it was definitely with Janice's help, you know, Janice Williams. Okay. The basket weaver there for the quiet suit, which you knew very well. Yeah, so she helped? Yes. If it wasn't for Janice, really on a cultural level, I don't believe that I'd be as close as I am to the quiet suit if it wasn't for Now, Janice. how did you associate with Janice Williams in the sense of uh, how? what was her role in terms of trying to structure this relationship or or sort of posture the seven fires corporation to help protect this rock art site how did that go i i had asked uh if i may speak with harold her brother and this was you know just before harold left and found that what happened was i missed that opportunity okay i had learned that, gotcha. that harold you know, Harold wasn't around anymore. And so that I, at that point in time, learned, you know, on Facebook, I believe it is, she had an account and she had asked me to be friends with her. And I didn't have a single okay. problem at all with that. And we became friends on Facebook originally before we met in person. Okay. Gotcha. So you meet her in person, you have friends on Facebook, but how did she, how did it operationally what did she do or what did you do with her to cause this uh, interesting development? I had, to, I had to actually, you know, walk with her, you know, to the museum in Tachipi to Tomo, uh, you know, listen to the stories about Tomokani. Oh, I see. Okay. That, that she told. But, you know, the stories that she would tell by her basket weaving and even the baskets that she weaved. Or wove mm -hmm. uh, these these baskets. You know they were stories in themselves, and learning right. really on a cultural level where where she where she sat as an elder. Gotcha. You know I learned I learned about other family members, and that's how we all kind of gathered together with the same effort. Gotcha. So she allowed you to be immersed in the uh, culture that the native exactly. culture, uh, traditional culture of the Kauaisu. And taught you and, and, you know, took you by the hand and showed you the resources exactly. that were available. And, and you began to study it and become a, a student of the Kauaisu culture. How's that? Absolutely. If it wasn't for Janice, I wouldn't have begun to learn the language itself through uh, Julie Turner and actually pick up the media that's, that's necessary for learning the Kauaisu language, which is quite complicated, actually, uh, I have Absolutely. to say, as com as complicated as the Cherokee alphabet, you oh, know, yeah. as far as the oh, yeah. the, the linguistics, the linguistics yeah, no, behind I, it. I, I would never, I would <laughs> never even attempt it. Maurice Zygmunt, who's an anthropologist and really the premier anthropologist to study the Kawaiisu and publish on that culture, did you know, did publish a dictionary post posthumously on the Kawaiisu language, but. I would never, ever attempt to try to learn to speak or study that language. Others have, and one individual I'm aware of is fluent in Kawaiisu, but he's a remarkable individual. Not an Indian, oh, thank you. but uh, 
Is that a fact? Did you met? I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I so, don't believe I've met him. No. Yes. Yes. He's the Renaissance man of the uh, Tehachapis and has been a, a writer and a photographer since. Okay. Are we talking about the writer for the paper up there? Because he was, he was actually, now I think I know who you're talking about. Uh, yeah. Publisher for, for the Tehachapi News, I think. That's correct. And he's always been a, you know, a, okay. a person Good. who performs that particular role. Yeah, um, I think his name's John, I think. Yeah. And and John was uh, one of the co-authors of the Kawhi Su Handbook, of course. That's really pretty much how we met, you and I, is, is, through, yes. is through this is through this effort yes. and yes uh, i just happen to you know already have a little bit of uh knowledge in in where this particular canyon sat by a professor uh and he right. went on ahead and gave me uh, an official letter that allowed me to be able to see the the actual importance of this site and great and who is that? Oh, this is a professor of trying to get his... Was that Roger here. Robinson from the Roger Valley Robinson. College? That's who it was. Roger Robinson from Animal Valley College. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, no. And he was, he's, he's, of course, he's an archaeologist, anthropologist, professor at Antelope Valley College. And he's been, you know, enmeshed in studies of that uh, Antelope Valley yeah, for, area. for like over 50 for years. Yeah, many, for many 50. decades. So I think he said so, he said in the letter he started his studies with this canyon in 1968. Oh, my word. So in any event, so you had the letter. You had a little bit of knowledge and getting more. You were working on setting up the corporation. And right. um, I, I guess the next and, and you were buying the land. <laughs> You, yeah, uh, well, actually, you were, we, you were you were busy. Well, now we're at a thank you, <laughs> and it is actually it's a busy uh, it's a busy subject uh, in my opinion. You know, when when it comes down to the ethics of of what we're trying yes. to accomplish, because we we don't want to jeopardize the site by publishing it yes. and letting people know so that right. it becomes some kind of Disneyland attraction. That's that's not what we're yeah. looking for. No, we're not, that's not what you want. No, we don't want to, you know, expose the site when it when it doesn't need to be. You know, but yet, it, it's such a delicate situation with this particular large corporation that they could choose to destroy it. And so that's all we wanted to do is we wanted to step in to make sure that they knew that another corporation who has the knowledge and is willing to, to commit to the stewardship to this canyon for that site you know that that this this large corporation can can trust us with that with that job and that task. And so, so you had you had mentioned some interesting initiatives. How did you end up operationally defining or executing against your plan of stewardship <laughs> for a rock art site? Tell me, help me. I'd 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 have to say it would be through the structure. I don't mean to put a, a, a fraternity in, in front of this. Oh, you mean, you mean a build? You mean a building, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, how should I say this? On a Masonic level, the Masonic fraternity uh, really operates a lot on structure. What did you do physically? Did you build something? The only thing I did know physically is make a deck, which is called a deck. Up north, yeah. I worked uh, CDF wildfires and yeah. up in Humboldt okay. and learned, you know, yeah. how to fight fires at a young age. So decks yeah. is what we called them. And uh, all it is is a cut deck in, in the mountain where it's level and not okay and not uh, at an angle. So that deck I've, I've carved out up on the land that we have up okay. there, it's all corporate uh, nonprofit and our intent is just simply to build two u-shaped walls cinder block walls to like two mm -hmm. little cabins but there are only three yeah. walls to them and that way there's okay. an open there it's an open roof open ceiling 
and we could yeah. go up there and arrange meetings and whatnot there on that land. And so what we'd like to do really is bring back a, a cultural meeting that we used to have here in the Antelope Valley that hasn't that hasn't happened in, in, in quite a while now. And this cultural gathering involved a, a drumming and, and a lot of the yeah. local natives in this area. And so what we wanted to do is, you know, have a new space, new spot for us to be able to meet and have our drummings again. Gotcha. And start being able to do our songs. So, you know, I, I, I've joined in with, with these gatherings and they're quite important, especially when it comes to powwows like the uh, Chumash and Malibu with their powwow and whatnot. The powwows are very, ever so important. Because of this pandemic, unfortunately, it's, it's really put a lot of things off and it's taken a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, so what, so you're, what you're saying is this place, this rock art site, that you're protecting will also become some sort of a gathering site for Native people to uh, perform certain religious rites. Am I correct? Exactly, exactly. Again, I don't want to, you know, name any names of organizations no, no, no. or whatnot without their uh, uh, permission. But, uh, but you know, this uh, particular gathering, in fact, our, one of our directors, you know, on board here with the corporation, CM, he's he was he was with with that group as well. That's how I know CM or CFO. Yeah, it's in that drumming. So you know he's a part of it as well as of, with us trying yeah. to re trying to bring back the group that we used to be drumming together with the drum and the ladies in the background with the children singing and and with the whole room singing to the same song, drumming on the same drum like it was one heartbeat. Uh, the heartbeat of the, of the world, and, and it really Fantastic. is quite, quite, quite an extraordinary feeling uh, to be able to be part of. Oh, I, I bet it is. It, it's absolutely incredible. I'm getting a flavor for what we're doing, what you're doing, and what we're trying to accomplish. And I think in the final, you know, segment, maybe we should focus in on a little bit about the rock art site itself and its its characteristics. See you in the flip flop, gang. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. Hey out there in Rock Art Podcast land, this is your host, Dr. Alan Garfinkel, with Joseph Williams, our guest scholar of the Seven Fires Corporation, talking about the manner in which you might uh, try to protect, respect, and uh, conserve uh, a sacred site and uh, one which is also a prominently important rock art site. And um, this is the third segment, and so we're going to really drill down to the rock art site itself. So, Joseph Williams, can you paint us a word picture of what this rock art site is all about? and why it might be so important um, in a general in a, in a general way uh, I, it's uh, in my opinion it would be the most extraordinary largest panel there is uh, that I've known and learned to study that's as elaborate as it is and when you and when you say panel what kind of a site is this is it a is it a painting site is it, is it a drawing site what is it it's a uh, Picto, it's a pictograph site, painting site, if you will. Okay. Pictographs, and it's got anthropomorphic figures. Uh, one of the, those figures is called the teddy bear. 
the teddy bear okay. image or the teddy bear man, if you were, and, the teddy bear painting, which is one of the catchy phrases. Yeah, I know. Is it monochrome, a single color, or is it many colors? Monochrome, actually, uh, that I happen okay. to notice for for the most part. Okay. I'd, I, I'd want to say two more than one color. Okay. Mainly yes. because, you know, if you want to consider white a color, it's more of a shade, sure. but... You know, the black and white, you know, as far as shades are concerned, as opposed to colors. Right. Colors itself, I'd say the only color that, that I've been able to actually see or recognize is, is the color red. So so it's black, white, and red. Right. And I have never been there, I have to say, honestly. It's... I've, I've probably written something about it in several different contexts, always as a synthesis or a summary of previous research, also in the um, yeah, in the handbook of the Kauai Sioux, and also in the instead of an overview in the fence post, there was an article that I put together as well. Yes, yes. As a matter Just of fact, a, uh, yes, uh, you have me there. It's a yeah polychromatic polychromatic paintings. Is what yeah is what you know they're considered. So when it comes to the rarity of the type of pictographs that these are yes it's actually quite rare actually to as opposed to pictographs that are picked the paintings as opposed to pictographs are are quite different yeah and i learned to study these so how, how, how big is the panel how tall how wide i'd say that Altogether, as far as uh, the panel itself, I, I'd say it wouldn't be more than maybe like a six by six or maybe eight by eight. But okay. how high up on a, on the rock that it is, you know, I, I yes. probably, probably want to put it more up there, about eight to ten feet. Uh, oh yeah, you know, in height from from the, from where you stand. So, so it's prominently placed in sort of an elevated position, correct? Right, right, and, and you know, the, there's uh, there's a lot of things about that canyon on the whole when it comes to on the environmental aspects of it. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. You know, when the when the creek is running like right now, it's we've we've had such uh, such bad uh, weather regarding rain being here in the midst of this drought for as many years as we've had uh, you know the creek mm-hmm. back there isn't running it's dry right now so but when we do have any any form of close to regular weather the springs are alive back there and that fresh water that's running as as creeks through that canyon mm-hmm. i've i've actually you know come to realize you know there there are some rare am- amphibious frogs you know there's amphibians that that grow uh-huh. in that are alive, and yet, if you went back in that canyon right now, you'd find it dry as a bone. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. so it's Amazing. quite a mystery, actually, to, to see the canyon come alive with the fresh water, even with, you know. I'm sure, uh, uh, absolutely. All that I'm I, I think I've actually discovered a couple of uh, artesian wells there, that's all. Wow. Well, I, I have a, an anecdotal story about that site that I've uh, talked about in an article. You want to hear it? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's a gentleman by the name of Jack Sprague, and he's a, I'd say, renowned student of rock art throughout Kern County. And he helped put together the rock art section in um, the handbook of the Kawaii And his wife's name is Gail Sprague, and she was an archaeologist who got her master's degree from Cal State. Bakersfield. And she is rather familiar with this site that we're talking about. And I called her for some reason, or we were talking for some reason. You know, I was talking about what I knew about it, etc., etc. And she said, did you see the bear? (laughs) And I said, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, I've seen that teddy bear image we talk about, or the that small little spirit figure that looks rather like some sort of a, a small bear. She goes, no, did you see the bear? I go, well, yeah, I mean, I, I know that there's, you know, zoomorphs, you know, zoomorphic figures that are bears. 
And uh, we, we see him at other sites like at Tomokani itself, Tomokani State Historic Park. She goes, Alan, did you see the bear? <laughs> I go, Gail, what are you talking about? Says, the rock itself is shaped like a bear. Yes, I go, actually. oh, really? And I, uh, I, said, I, I said, that's rather striking, isn't it? And she sent me f- photographs of that. And damn, <laughs> damn, Daniel, <laughs> it looks just like the visage, the profile of a bear, the nose, the body, you know, et cetera, doesn't it? Yes, absolutely. Actually, it does. And that's one of the things I happen to notice, you know, having been born here in the Alamo Valley, like, for example, Saddleback Butte, uh, you know, it's the shape of the saddle, you know, so all, a lot yeah. of these rocks and places, even in Tomokani, uh, when you go walking on the trails there in Tomokani State Park, you'll find these areas where, where it looks ever, ever so much like uh, some form of an animal. Or, or being these forms of rock, but uh, you have to Definitely. be facing them. You know, you have to be facing them a certain way to see them, in, actually in that particular configuration. And so that's one thing I've learned. Uh, so one of the things, things, yeah. One so one of the things again, just like with Tomokani and with the uh, resource we're talking about, I think, and in, in the broad patterning of rock art sites. Sometimes, even I'd say f- somewhat frequently, you will find that sites that have some sort of special form akin to an animal will be the sites for uh, emblazoning, setting up the rock art, both pictographs and petroglyphs. Have you found that? Yes. As far as that is concerned, being able to recognize yeah. these forms, you know, they were they're considered gifts. I mean, from a native, for me, absolutely. It's like it's like a, a eagle feather finding an eagle feather. Yeah, on it's, your it's, trail. It's, it's gifts from the creator. Exactly. Yeah, if, if are, anybody even the knew how important eagle feather yeah. is, exactly. So, so that that's what I learned. You know. Yeah. So being a Native American, I, I didn't mean to get into this subject, but you're kind of alluding to it. Being a Native person and given your understanding, what makes rock art important? What is it about rock art or what do Native people believe about rock art? Well, it's the spirit of the, of the person or the family, for the most part, that puts themselves into these areas and they put themselves into these areas by by making a form or a painting or an etching like a pictograph and these areas are ever so special for centuries if, if not millennia to the families that are the product of these areas they learn by the same legends that's been told to them and so these areas uh, they they start to become these areas for gathering, for storytelling. And so a lot of times these paintings from a Native perspective, my perspective, I, I have a different perspective as a Cherokee because uh, as, as for, for the Cherokee Nation, as far as the Cherokee Nation is concerned, they have their yes. story to tell as well. Sure. And so, you know, uh, when you learn about the hardships that the Natives of this nation have actually been through the hardships, uh, you know, that makes these places even even more important, you know, that, that these places are left as, as a remembrance of this time period. And so it's like these, these spaces and places that are frozen in time that you can go and walk into and learn about. But when you walk into, you walk into with the respect of learning of that culture, of learning of that spirit that built the place in the first place. So, so that's so, what's interesting. Very this interesting. Particular, uh, this particular place, I guess, was naturally made. So it wasn't actually, you know, made as far as by hand, like, like a, you know, like any, like a mesa building or any brick building or anything like that. 
these are this is a natural natural place that was that was made most likely by geology just simple geo, geophysics that that allowed it to become what it is and that's a big a very large rock and i believe that's the same in the case of tomo tomokani uh, sure have these very large rocks you know this these are the places this is actually you know in my opinion i don't mean to use the term end of the trail when it comes to that from a cherokee perspective but the trail is what really that these paintings i've learned are all about is the trail uh, that comes all the way from the yucatan peninsula and the trail that sure. winds all the way up through baja california and up here this is like almost the end of the trail so it's an interconnection between the various Indian groups and what they believe in terms of the thread that connects people, exactly. cultures, places, etc. Now, it was a trail. It was an actual trail. Yeah, right. I want to mention a couple of things, though, before we close here very shortly, that uh, Sandy Rogers and also a native Owens Valley Paiute uh, wrote an article about rock art sites as storyboards. And that was one of the things you mentioned, that these are images sometimes. They're documentation of uh, the stories, the key stories for Native people. They can be creation stories. They can be sacred narrative. We use the term mythology. I don't like that. But but you know what I'm talking about. Right, right, exactly. And like, for example, this particular site that we're speaking of, uh, you know, is, is, has been studied to the point, and, and from what I can see as a, an interpretation, uh, as this was like turned into from a milling station, a milling area for the families that live there to a hunting lodge. And so a lot of the paintings are in regards to hunts. So this this was a very important part of, of uh, going on a hunt. So when uh, the hunter, he put his painting up, that was his mark for successful hunt for the most part. The other two items before, before we close, I've only got about two minutes and I want to give you the last minute or so to close on your own, is that there's a couple of terms that I use when I talk about rock art sites. One is I call them memory palaces and places of personal immortality. And those were the concepts, those were the word pictures that I think I got when you were explaining some of this. Does that make any sense? Yes, absolutely. I'd have to agree with you, Doctor, completely, especially on the on the later. On the latter, that's for sure. When it comes to immortality, mainly because, you know, these this is a painting that's been deemed to be over two thousand years old, and I, gotcha. I'm not sure. I'm not sure on record what what painting around is even two thousand years old. <laughs> you can see. Exactly. <laughs> it's quite amazing to see how well preserved it is. It is very much so. So, if you were to close and um, uh, tell our audience something that you think was a is a key takeaway or or a sign off something that they should learn or understand? I, I think the the key, uh, when I was younger, you know, there was this book I know I remember reading is called Walking Softly in the Forest. And it, it was a way, I think, of for, you know, scouts, Boy Scouts, that kind of thing, to learn how to hike and whatnot in the woods and, and walk softly without disturbing what's around and keeping everything preserved. So... You know, nativesteps.org is, is a website that, that I've just put up that we are just now constructing and trying to figure out how to how to publish. And nativesteps.org, native steps, meaning just like in those walking softly in the forest steps, you know, to, gotcha. to, to, be, to, to take those steps ever so softly and understand. Definitely. I I get your drift. Joseph, it was a, an absolute honor and privilege to have you on the Rock Art Podcast for our 87th episode. <laughs> Thank you. There, there's, uh, definitely, there's definitely things that's worth more than money, that's for sure. And this, to me, yeah. is, is worth way more than the dollar bill, and that's mainly why I'm involved. 
mainly your motivation. I got you. Yes, thank you. Thanks for uh, tuning in on uh, the Rock Art Podcast. See you in the flip-flop, gang. Thanks for listening to the Rock Art Podcast with Dr. Alan Garfinkel and Chris Webster. Find show notes and contact information at www.arcpodnet.com forward slash rock art. Thanks for listening and thanks for sharing this podcast with your family and friends. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. This is Chris Webster, founder of the APN and one of the chief editors. Thanks for listening all the way to the end. If you want to keep the conversation going and support us along the way, go to arcpodnet.com slash members. That's arcpodnet.com slash members. And thanks for listening. Spread the word. The JCPenney Friends and Family Sale is back. And this week, we're passing the savings on to you. Use your extra 30% off coupon to prep your home and style your family for Easter. That's extra savings on top of our great low prices. Plus, share your coupon with everyone you know and love. It's always better when we save together. JCPenney. Make everybody count. Offer valid 311 through 317. Exclusion supply. See store or jcp.com for details. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.